Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, tonight what I want to do is I, I want to talk to you about James on James chapter 5 and verses 13 through 18. And the reason is twofold. First of all, it gives us a bit of a theology in the New Testament relative to what we talked about Sunday morning when it comes to praising God, when it comes to lifting up praise in the midst of a trial, the supernatural power that is released. James talks about that. Second, on Sunday at all of our campuses, we are gonna be back doing for the first time in over 14 months, we are gonna be having prayer for the sick down front. I'm so excited about that. And so I think it's good for us to talk about it because some of you are new, some of you just come, some of you just started watching online. You need to know, hey, what's happening? Why is it happening? What's it about? And James chapter five is the place where we can go to talk about it. So as we look at it, let's jump right in. James chapter five, verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? It could be, is any one of you in trouble? The whole, the whole scope of James chapter 5 is one of trials. In fact, the whole book of James has to do with how believers handle trials. Starts the book by saying, consider it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing that the trials produce perseverance, which makes us complete and mature, not lacking anything. God has a purpose in trials. It's not saying he doesn't deliver us out of trials. Sometimes he takes us through trials, and as he takes us through trials, he does a work in us that makes us strong. When you get to James chapter 5, he's talking about trials. He's talking about trouble. So James says, is there anyone who has trouble? Are people treating you badly? Are you dealing with maybe a cloud of anxiety, a cloud of depression? Are you facing financial problems? You, you've overspent your budget and now you're in trouble financially. Maybe at work it's not going well. It could be a physical challenge. It could be an illness. It could be a loss of a family member. And the result is that in that moment, you feel like you're facing more than you can bear. So he says, is any one of you suffering, any one of you in trouble? And the idea is not just trouble on the outside, there's trouble on the inside. So it's not just what's happening around you, it's what's happening inside you. If that's where you're at, this is James' advice. It's very simple, very solid, very good. It says, let him pray. The first thing to do is to pray. Because through prayer, God can strengthen our heart. He can change the situation because God answers prayer. And that is such simple advice. But if the truth were known, what happens so many times with people is we do everything but pray. We're on the horn talking to a friend. We're complaining about the situation or family. We're saying, I don't know why this is happening. Or we're, we're complaining, we're criticizing, or we're scheming, or we're filled with anxiety. And we're saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Well, how about pray? Up at night, filled with worry. And we fail to do the one thing that'll make the difference in everything, and that is pray. 
But then James goes on and he says this, is anyone cheerful? He's not talking about everybody who has it going all their way. And if, you're, if that's where you're at right today, tonight, man, that's awesome for you, good for you. Enjoy it while it lasts because it doesn't last. I mean, there are seasons where it's like that, but then there's other seasons because that's how life is. But what the idea is, is not, he's not talking about your circumstances are great. He's talking about your heart is great. That you can face a situation, a challenge, and have a joy and a cheer and a vitality and a faith and an optimism and James says, if that's where you're at, look at what he says, let him sing praise. So if you're troubled on the inside, talk to God about it, tell him where you're at, tell him what's going on, seek his face, wrestle in prayer, believe God's gonna answer. But if you're going through a trial and inside your heart you're saying, you know what, I know God's got this or you just feel a joy, then James says, sing songs of praise. And we saw Sunday that as we're praising God, as we're lifting our voice in praise, spiritually powerful things are happening. Significant things are happening. God is fighting the battle for us as we're lifting our voice in praise. And I'm just, I mean, my heart was so blessed just through tonight looking here at the South Campus and thinking at all of the campuses over at North and, and over at West and at Joplin and online as people are worshiping the Lord, there are walls that are falling down. As people are worshiping the Lord, God is going before us. God is setting ambushes for the enemy. God is gonna do what you and I could never do in a million years. That's all happening. So exciting to think about it. So we sing praise, and like we saw in Acts 16 with Paul and Silas, the, there was a great earthquake, and the prison doors flew open, and the chains of everybody fell off. And that's when Paul and Silas are in a troubled situation. Their backs beaten, bloody, and raw, but in their hearts, they, there is a joy in their heart that allows them to sing songs of praise at midnight. The Lord can do that in your, our life. Then James says this, is anyone among you sick? And the word for sick is used in two different ways in the scripture. It can certainly be used for physical illness, but it also is used in Romans 14 and other places in the New Testament for weakness. The idea is weakness of spirit or weakness of body. So you're, you're weary, you're fatigued, you're continually discouraged, you're continually, you're, you're struggling with a depression. It can be any, it can be physical illness, it can be emotional, mental turmoil. James says, does anybody have that weakness? Is anybody struggling with that illness, what's the answer? That sick person is to call for the elders. Let him call for the elders of the church. Now, in a technical sense, and I just mentioned this to you, elders is, typically is pastors. An elder's a pastor, a pastor's an elder. So people at times will say, does James ever have elders? Yes, we have pastors. The words are used interchangeably in the scripture. 
I believe that is the biblical form of eldership, and it's based solely, squarely on the New Testament, that when people take people that are not pastors and call them elders, I think my own experience has been that has been problematic in more churches than I can number. I remember one time asking Debbie's grandfather, godly guy, pastored the same church for over 40 years, and they had elders in their church. So I was getting started in the ministry. I'm trying to figure out the church governance thing, and I, I say to him, his name is Grandpa Bakken. I say to him, Grandpa Bakken, I got a question for you. And he's like, what's that? And I'm this old godly gentleman, and I said, um, what do you think? Are lifetime elders a good thing? He said, well, Depends how long they live. <laughs> but there's a lot of truth to that. Now I want you to notice, let him call for the elders. So in our context, the elders are either pastors or people who are recognized by the pastors as people who either feel A, a gift to lay hands on the sick, or be a calling to do it. Say, how do, how do I know if I'm called? There's a desire that you want to do it. That not, that, and I would say this to anybody who lays hands on the sick, that if that's going to be something you feel called to do, something you desire to do, then that calling is demonstrated in this way. That you're not just rolling out of bed, coming to church, and showing up down front, and expecting God to show up. Because when you're standing down here, you've got people coming to you who have desperate, desperate needs. And that merits more than a person just showing up. What it merits is somebody who's prepared their heart to be ready to minister under the grace and the anointing of the Holy Spirit so that when they pray the prayer of faith, there are spiritual things that are happening because they have spent time, you know, fellowshipping with the Lord and the Spirit of God rests on them. I think of one couple that, and I know they do this, what they do is when they get home, they write down the names of everybody that they prayed for that morning and then they pray for them all week. That is wonderful. So that's what we're talking about here. When we talk, we're just not talking about people who just decided to show up. We're talking about people who feel a calling, people who have a gifting, or we're talking about uh, people who are recognized by the pastoral staff or pastors themselves. Let him call for the elders of the church. I want you to notice something here. It's the responsibility of the person who's weak or sick to call for the elders. Sometimes what happens is people get sick and they have a tendency to think nobody cares when in fact nobody knows. And, and I, I'll tell you, we don't have a crystal ball that tells us who's sick. You have to tell the church, and this is why, one of the reasons why I love Sunday morning is it's an opportunity for people to come to call to, to come forward, to take the initiative and say, I'm weak, I'm sick, I need prayer, and I need God to touch me, amen? So the sick person is to exercise faith by coming forward, and the people who pray for the sick are to exercise faith by praying. 
Look at it in verse 14. It says, and let them pray over him. So as they're praying, what they're doing is they're praying the prayer of faith to those who are coming forward in their praying. I mean, one of the things I would encourage people to recognize is that we don't pray ourselves into a state of faith. We pray the prayer of faith. We pray. Here's the thing that gets, and just by way of, of considering as any one of us pray for people. If we evaluate our faith personally, we will always feel it's not enough. And if we think it is enough, we may be completely off. Because I don't know that we can evaluate the strength of our faith. Remember when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus says, it's in uh, Luke chapter 17. And Jesus says, listen, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this tree, be uprooted and cast in the sea and it will happen. In other words, what Jesus is saying, listen, let's not complicate this thing. You know, it doesn't take a lot of faith if it's the real faith. That's what he's saying. You don't need a lot if it's real. And one of the things that will happen to people is they sit there because the need is big and they start asking themselves, do I have the faith to pray for that? Stop analyzing yourself. Get your eyes on the Lord and believe that God gives power to accomplish his will, to honor his word, and to do in people's lives what is necessary to be done. And, and if you'll just pray the prayer of faith, you'll look back on it and see, wow, I must have had more faith than I thought. Because we can literally obey our way by immediately responding into a, a, an act of great faith. But I promise you, you'll never think your way into it. So they pray the prayer of faith. They pray over him. Notice in verse 14, it says, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So what is that about, the anointing with oil? Honestly, the scripture is not definitive on it. My understanding would be the anointing oil is symbolic of the presence of the Lord. In the Old Testament, when kings were anointed, they anointed them with oil. It was symbolic of the presence of the Lord. The Psalm says how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the oil being poured on Aaron's head, flowing down his beard onto his robes, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So as we're anointing people with oil, it's about bestowing the blessing, about bestowing the life, about bestowing the presence, about bestowing the power of the Lord on that person to do what only God can do. So we anoint. Jesus sent the apostles out. Mark chapter 6, it says this. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and watched they healed them. So it's not just something James talks about. It's something Jesus had his disciples do, anointing people with oil. Verse 15 says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Very interesting word there. Save, in the Greek, it's the word sozo. It's the word that we get salvation from. And when we're talking about salvation, we're talking not only saving people from sins, we're talking about healing people of illness, and we're talking about delivering people in the name of Jesus. 
from whatever it is that has them bound. Whether it's, it's again, a weakness like a depression and anxiety. In, in the work of Christ is the power to deliver the whole being, the whole man, the whole woman, the whole person. So this is what's so awesome. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. What you're doing, what, what a person is receiving is not the power of God on me, but what they're receiving is what was accomplished by Jesus on the cross. And that is by his stripes, we were healed. First Peter chapter two. There is a, there's a, the work of the Lord relative to his saving work that brings about the deliverance, the healing, and the power of the God of God to set people free. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. The Lord will make him well. Notice this, and if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. So that's not saying to us that as you come down, all of a sudden, because you've been prayed for, your sins are forgiven. That is not what that is saying. What it is saying is, and we know it from, from what we'll read in just a moment, what it is saying is that before you come down for the prayer of faith, you better look at your life. Not all sickness, not all depression, not all anxiety, not all heaviness, not all fatigue, not all weariness is caused by sin, but some is. There are some, and what James is saying, don't come down and expect God to do in your life the miracle that you're seeking if you're harboring sin in your life. Take care of the sin in your life. Come, repent of that, then come and watch God work in your life. Because God will, God will do it. Look, it says this in verse 15. It says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. You know, I mean, and let me just say, kind of help you think through the, the whole issue of sin and, and uh, sickness. In John chapter 5 is the story of the man by the pool of Bethesda. Jesus comes by and says, do you want to get well? And he says, well, yeah, I would, but everybody keeps beating me in the pool and I keep missing when the angel's coming down the water. And, and, and so Jesus says, no, that, do you want to get well? And then he says, rise up and walk. And the man is raised up. Then Jesus finds him a little later in the temple area. Look at what he says. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you're well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. So what, what was happening? There was sin in his life that was creating for him a condition of illness. I mean, Paul says this in, second, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body of Christ is what he's talking about, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So weak, there's that idea of weakness again mental issues that are real. Physical issues that are, involve heaviness, weariness, chronic fatigue, some of those things. 
and an actual, and I'm not saying those aren't physical or, uh, but the, the Bible is making a distinction between those two. Whether we do it in medical science or not is really immaterial. Or there's just an outright illness. What happens to people is some people tolerate sin in their relationships. Unforgiveness. Start there. Bitterness. You're tolerating bitterness. You're upset at what people, you can't let go. And like David talked about a few weeks ago, you're building a monument to somebody done you wrong and, and it's all you can talk about. Or you come to church and you actually hope you don't run into somebody because you don't like them, you don't want to talk to them, and you're bitter about it. Or you're gossiping about brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, all of that can lead to physical issues. And, and James is saying, listen, before you come forward, do a, a self-examination and say, Lord, if there are things in my life that are displeasing to you, Lord, please show them to me and I repent because I don't want anything between me and you or me and other people that dishonors you. So then verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another. Now, this is not talking about us standing up now and saying, okay, now we're gonna have confession time. And so you all just, people start standing up and confessing. We all wanna hear that. The Bible knows nothing of that. That'd be foreign to the Bible. Confess your sins to one another. Who do you confess your sins to? The person you wronged. That's the person you confess your sins to. It's the person that you did wrong to, not the person that you thought did wrong to you. You know, some people will go and they'll say, you know, I just want to say, you know, that I, you know, sometimes people kind of invert that. The idea here is, you know, you did wrong to them and you need to confess it. Now, let me say this. Maybe you've been bitter against somebody and they had no idea. Then there's no need for you to confess it to them. You know, have you ever had somebody come up to you and they're like, you know, I just want to say, I've been really bitter because of, towards you because of this, this, and this. And you're like, I didn't even know any of this. I didn't even know you. I didn't even have, I never <laughs> met you before. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about you wrong somebody, they know you wronged them, you know you wronged them, go confess it, make it right, then pray for one another that you may be healed. In other words, deal with the sin and watch God heal the sickness. Then finally, we'll just quickly move along, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The NIV puts it this way, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Uh, I think the King James says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That word effectual fervent is one word in the Greek. We get our word energy from it. You could translate this way, the energized prayer, which tells you what, there's a prayer that's not energized. So what we want to do is, when we come to the Lord, we want our prayers to be energized. What is it that keeps our prayers from being energized? 
when we're not right with God, when we, have, uh, when we have sin in our life. I mean, if I had cherished sin in my heart, Psalm 66 says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If you got to get stuff going on inside that you know is wrong, that you know is evil, you're not going to have energized prayer. That's why we say, search me, O God, know my heart today. Try me, see if there be some wicked way in me. Lord, I want, Lord, I want you to work in my heart. I, I, want, I don't want one ounce of anything in my heart that is displeasing to you. I don't want an attitude. I don't want an act. I don't want a thought, Lord. I want to walk before you in righteousness. Why? so that I can pray in power. That's why for some people to have energized prayers, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to, you're going to, have to, to divest yourself by going before the Lord, divest yourself of the sinfulness and say, God, I don't, I don't want that. I don't, please take that away. And Lord, convict me and change me and help me to walk close to you. Because here's the thing. Every single one of us wants to be able to pray in power at any moment that we need to pray, right? Whether we're by ourselves or with somebody else, wherever we're at, we want to pray in power. And that is only possible if we're walking in righteousness with God. Where we don't knowingly have things going on that we know are displeasing to him or where we unknowingly have it. It's good for us to say, Lord, you know, there are sins of, of commission, sins of omission. Lord, I, I can't even at times know my own heart, but Lord, you know my heart. And if there are things that aren't right, it's good for us to, before the Lord, to just say, Lord, I, I want to live right before you, pure before you, holy before you, so that your power can function through me, so that when I pray, it has effect. The energized prayer of a righteous person is powerful. It is effective. Then it says Elijah was a man just like us. Just like us. He got discouraged. He got afraid. He was saying, God, I, 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 don't, think, I don't think I can do it anymore. Had all of these feelings. But what? He prayed. Look at what it says. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. Literally, it's in the original in the Greek. He pray prayed. Doesn't say fervently. It says he pray prayed that it might not rain. He prayed in his praying. He prayed with everything within him, which is why, you know, when we have our prayer meetings and, and maybe you're new tonight, you hear people calling out loud because there's something about fervent prayer. There's something about lifting our voice to the Lord. There's something about our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole being crying out to God that is powerful and is effective.